0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Restoring Rapport Podcast. My name is Seth Hensley and this is a show dedicated to young believers pursuing the goal of healthy marriage and family. You know, we live in a world where getting married and starting a family is far too often postponed for longer than God designed and pushed to the back burner in favor of less important things. But the good news is that it doesn't have to stay this way. As young believers, we have the choice to prioritize what matters most in our lives every day and to live face-to-face with God and others. Every Thursday and Sunday on this show, I'll be sharing research conducting interviews and reviewing articles on the importance of marriage and family for society. I'll also be releasing exclusive content such as spoken word poetry, allegorical short stories, and bonus episodes for subscribers. Friends, God did not set us up to live life alone. The truth of the matter is that every minute of your adult life that you wait to marry is a minute of your life that you're not spending with your life partner. While some might be content to live with the consequences of this arrangement, I would argue that those who wish to spend as much of their life as possible with their mate are perfectly within reason and soundness of value to do so it is my deepest hope that this podcast inspires generation z to pursue marriage become the best spouses and parents the world has ever seen serve with furious intentionality love well and discover the joy of hanging the moon for another to access my sources subscribe to the show or get your copy of my latest book visit anchor.fm seth hensley or check out the show notes of each episode all right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 87 of the Restoring Report podcast. I'm super excited for the content we've got planned out for you guys today. As always, this is a, pri- this is a podcast about prioritizing relationship in a world of many distractions and keeping marriage and family as central goals for young believers. And today I'm really excited because we've got and an, a guest on the show who has been really influential in my personal life as well as the indirectly the direction of this podcast uh, through his many books and podcasts that he's written, um, I'm going to be interviewing Frank Viola. For those of you who have not heard that yet, you are not going to want to miss this. This is going to be a great episode for you to get spiritual wisdom um, and really get things that you really need to have down before you enter into the season of life that we talk about so much, which is marriage and family on this show. You really want to have these principles down before you get to that point. Um, because they're going to make your life so much easier on a number of levels. And also reminding us of our uh, primary occupation as believers on the earth, and that is bringing the kingdom of God to earth um, and all the facets and all the way that looks like. So really excited to have Frank on the show today. I'm going to be interviewing him on his most recent book coming out entitled 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. Um, Frank, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Oh, it's my privilege. I appreciate you having me.
0: Absolutely. It's an honor. As I said, I actually came to uh, discover Frank's work uh, years ago. I believe it was in 2012, um, through his work on his first book that I encountered was called Pagan Christianity. I believe he published it in 2008. Uh, Totally changed the way that I perceived the liturgical structure of church, uh, particularly in the Bible Belt. I live in Southern Ohio, and I began, as I read the book, I began to see all the ways that um, all the practices that we had in churches, uh, that in my area were universal, all, all churches practice these things, but really they weren't, they didn't find their roots in scripture, but instead found their roots in other things, which, uh, he talked about not being a terrible thing. It's okay to be influenced by, um, other things like Christmas is a pagan holiday, but we get, I mean, obviously it's a great thing to celebrate with your family, but he since, uh, declared that that book is, it was actually intended to be the first of a series of many books. Um, leading up to, I believe, insurgents, which I've also, which I also finished, and I think twenty, I can't even remember. I think it was twenty nineteen ish. But just all around, he re- he's written so many great books. Highly re- recommend everything he writes. So, Frank, can you tell us a little bit about how you started? Before we uh, get into this, how you started writing books, why you started writing books, and kind of the vision that you had when you became an author.
1: Sure. So this goes back uh, to my early twenties. I was a very hungry and thirsty Christian to know the Lord in a deep way. And so I was part of many different denominations, many different movements, many different parachurch organizations. And the question that burned in my heart was there has to be more than this. What mm. is it? You know? Mm. And that's been a, a driving question that has basically put me to where i am now i still wow. have that question in my heart uh, although i'm a lot clearer than i was back then and um so somehow i i just started to develop the practice of writing things those things that i was learning those things mm. that were opening my own eyes change, uh, shifting my paradigms and um I, I started putting this stuff out in the early form of the blogosphere, which was it was called bulletin boards mm-hmm. back then. And then a publisher uh, found my work, wanted to publish it. And so I've been on that ride for wow. <laughs> for a long time. Uh, <laughs> 2008 really was, was the time that I was founded by a discovered by a big publisher, Tyndale. You mentioned the book, Pagan yeah. Christianity, that I wrote with George Barna and uh, the four books that followed that in that series. And then I've been writing about the deeper Christian life. I've been writing about Jesus Christ uh, from a fresh perspective. And I've been writing uh, to Christians who want more of the Lord. And And this new book, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, is is really designed for any Christian who is in ministry of any type Mm. Um, you know, from evangelism to teaching, to counseling, to preaching, whatever it is. And, um, so yeah, that's, that's the journey that, uh, that I've been on for a while now.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. And that's guys that that should be right up your alley in the sense of as believers, we talk about a lot on this show, how, if you're a believer, you really are in ministry in one form or another. It's not just, a lot of times I know in my particular area, geographically, a lot of the people I meet think that ministry is confined to preaching, Sunday school teaching, or worship leading. And uh, that we know that's not true. There are many different ways that the body of Christ can minister to each other. Um, and that's just a, that's a universal calling for us as believers. So this is going to be right, uh, right right, up your alley, guys. Um, just to brag on Frank Biola for a little bit, because I know he won't do it himself. Uh, Frank is a conference speaker. He's a blogger. Uh, as we mentioned before, he's a best-selling author. And he helps serious followers of Jesus know their Lord more deeply so they can experience real transformation and make a lasting impact. His blog, FrankViola.org, is regularly ranked at the top five of all Christian blogs on the web. And his podcast, Christ is All, is ranked number one in Canada and number two in USA on iTunes. His Insurgents podcast features discussions with his conversation partners on the explosive Gospel of the Kingdom. I've been binging the insurgents podcast particularly recently and um loving a lot of things that he says there so be sure to check that out if you're interested as well uh frank can you tell us a little bit more about the origin of this particular book 48 laws of spiritual power and why you decided to write it in particular not uh, not as much your other but this one in particular
1: sure the book was born out of two uh things mainly first, at the behest of many pastors and teachers in their 20s, 30s, and early 40s, who listened to my spoken conference messages, um, they wanted to pull back the curtain and understand how I came up with the things I ministered on. How did I deliver those messages without looking at notes? Mm. um, You know, where's the power and the passion come from? Mm. And that led me to start Uh, actually create a mastermind mentoring program for spiritual leaders, where they asked me these sorts of questions. Uh, We discussed it amongst ourselves. We learned from one another. They also shared their struggles and their challenges. Mm -hmm. And that mastermind mentoring program started it in 2015 And then um, basically it turned into what's now called the Insurgents Experience, which is a year-long mastermind mentoring program that's done mostly uh, online over Zoom. Um, But the book, Seth, was hammered out uh, on the anvil of those questions and those struggles and those challenges and those problems that those leaders Mm. uh, had had put forth in the mastermind. The second thing... That uh, happened was around the same time when I started this mastermind, a friend of mine gave me a series of books on audio to consume, and one of them happened to be a book entitled the forty eight Laws of Power" by somebody named Robert Green, who I'd never heard of. Okay. <laughs> and uh, this is not a Christian book. I do not recommend the book. Okay. <laughs> um, basically it's it, I mean it's a it's a massively popular book, but what it does is it teaches you, how to use manipulation and ah. leverage the selfish nature of human beings to gain earthly power, hmm. uh, either you know to win in at work or to win in life or to win in relationships, but have power over others. Yeah, and that triggered an idea, Seth. I thought, you know, what if there was a book on the forty-eight laws of spiritual power, hmm. of God's power, um, which. Of course, it's, it's going to be the opposite of what Green right. writes about, but, but the idea and the concept and even the title inspired me to go ahead and, and excavate, excavate my mind and my heart uh, through all the years of experience in ministry that I've had um, to put this book together. And basically, I write the book that I want to read, but that doesn't exist. Yeah. (laughs) So I looked for a book. I mean, there's a lot of books on the miraculous power of God. You know, how do we zap Mm -hmm. demons? You know, how do we pray for the sick? Okay, and that's fine. There's hundreds of books like that. That's not what this is. This does deal with the miraculous power of God a little bit, but it really is much broader. It deals with God's power when you're evangelizing, sharing the gospel with a friend. It deals with God's power when you're in a relationship with somebody and you really need the Lord to come through. Uh, yeah. it, it deals with all aspects of ministry, from low-level ministry to the pastor that gets up every Sunday and preaches a message. Yeah. Uh, so it is for all Christians, for sure.
0: Very good. Very good. I, I didn't even recognize kind of the 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 thought behind that 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 book title until you just told me that story there. Of, uh, I, l- I really like that because it's kind of um, comparing, juxtaposing secular. Uh, manipulation tactics to what we're how we're actually supposed to be ministering to one another and serving one another in the kingdom of God, how different those two things are. So those titles, um, um, 48 Laws of Power versus 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, <laughs> I like that. I didn't realize that was, was behind the title. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the writing process and how you came up with the actual 48 Laws? Because it sounds like how you started, you had to match um, it sounds like you were shooting for 48 because you started with the the secular title of 48 Laws of Power. Yes,
1: yes. Yeah, I, I basically, um, you know, as I said, excavated my own heart and mind, thinking about all of the experiences I've had in ministry, uh, both good and bad, and... I, I really uh, tried to distill them into as many laws as I can think of. And I actually came up with 48. <laughs> so, okay. so it worked. <laughs> it worked. I also have some codas at the end of the book, which are extra chapters that okay. deal with different aspects, but they're not really laws. And by the way, when I use the word law, I'm not talking about a rule. I'm talking mm. about principles. Like, uh, un- yep. like the law of gravity, right?
0: Yeah, uh, I love that.
1: Unchanging, enduring principles. And... So, you know, writing a book is a lot like writing songs, uh, for an album, uh, and then recording it. Uh, so, you know, I have a certain style. I use a lot of humor in my, Mm. (laughs) in my Mm -hmm. writing. I Mm -hmm. write the chapters really short. So these are not long ballads. These are, these are short, you know, um, top 40. Yeah. Yeah. Consumable, digestible. Um, and then I tell stories to illustrate the point, but, you know, It's like, um, just like any album, it's going to hit people in a different way. You know, there's some people who absolutely love the late Michael Jackson. They think he's Mm. the greatest thing since Cream Spinach. Uh, And then there are others who hate his music. They like the Rolling Stones or Adele or Taylor Swift or Led Zeppelin. And so my book's you know, they have a certain style, a certain rhythm. Mm -hmm. But once you start reading it, you'll pick it up pretty quickly. And hopefully people will like the style. So far, the response has been overwhelming, both from, you know, laymen, quote unquote, I don't like that term, but you know what I mean? They're not clergy, Mm -hmm. from people who are pastors and elders and leaders and teachers uh, all across the gamut. And as I say in the book, and I'm double clicking on something you said in the opening that all Christians are in ministry. There's a statement I make in the book. And that is, if you're in
0: Christ, your whole life is a mission trip. Mm. Very good. Very good. Just to give our listeners a little bit, of I've, I know a little bit more about you than perhaps some of them who hadn't read as many as your, your books and listened to your podcasts. Have you ever been in the institutional ministry of showing up, you know, seven days a week as a pastor Uh, or a worship leader, Sunday school teacher, any of that in any form? Uh, Yes
1: to the Sunday school teacher. I was not employed, but I was enlisted to teach a Sunday school class uh, to young adults and then also college and career when I was young. I've never been an institutional church pastor. However, I have been in shepherding roles in uh, smaller churches and I've also worked with multiple churches in sort of a, a church planting role. And I've also worked with and trained many, many pastors uh, yeah. of all different denominations. Yeah.
0: And I know I recently saw you uh, You post on Facebook that you'd also just done like I uh, I don't know if it was a conference or something with specifically pastors, which I, I think was yes. awesome, just absolutely awesome. Just giving them that training and that, that mentorship and guidance because, I mean, pastors uh, – have a hard job. They really do. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I know a lot of pastors myself and it's, uh, I have never done it. Obviously I'm very young. I've never even, my dad's never done it. It doesn't run in our family, but I know I've seen the toll that it can take oh, yeah. on, on a, on a man. And it's just a lot of responsibility, a lot of weight. So I wanted to get your perspective there uh, kind of, um, before we go any further, but how would you define spiritual power? Because that seems to be the, the subject of your book, what all the 48 laws are kind of, uh, encapsulating and and describing, how would you define spiritual power?
1: Yeah, spiritual power is the dynamic energy of the Holy Spirit to alter situations, to heal, to deliver, to awaken, Mm. and to transform human beings. It's basically the power or anointing of God. Uh, That word anointing is not a word just for the Charismatics and the Pentecostals. (laughs) Uh, It's in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament. It's basically God's dynamic energy when it's placed upon a human vessel to carry out the Lord's will Mm. in a person's life or ministry. And really what I have discovered is the key to effective ministry is God's power. If you're not serving with God's power, you're serving in the energy of the flesh, and Mm. the results will be short-lived, and it will not have eternal value. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians, I'll just read it, but Paul prays that the believers in Thessalonica would operate by God's power that he would bring to fruition every desire for goodness and every deed prompted by faith. Another translation says that God, by his power, will fulfill your every desire to do good. So God's power is necessary
0: for bearing fruit. Love it. Um, I also like how you you briefly just mentioned there about how the the, the power of the Spirit is always that drive that force that takes a really disgusting messy situation flips it does a complete uh 180 and turns it into something good we we look at god doing that throughout scripture all the time at least i do um all things work together for them the good of, for the good of them that love god and who are called according to his purpose um that restoration element that turning around element love that as uh your, your focus of of spiritual power um what are some common traps in ministry today uh, based, based on the pastors that you've counseled and the conferences that you've had with uh, leaders in the institutional church, what are some uh, traps that they fall into today? And how, more importantly, how can they uh, sidestep those? Well, there are many, actually,
1: Seth, and I addressed okay. a whole lot of them in these laws of power. But I guess one of the big ones, and this is for successful uh, people in ministry or people who have successful ministries, is is there is a pride and an arrogance that many, many uh, leaders succumb to after God uses them, especially Mm. if they have large congregations or they're on the speaking circuit and they're invited to speak at many conferences. And what pride and arrogance, where it comes from, it's when a person confuses the paintbrush with the great artist who uses it. See, Mm. God is the artist. And he's creating a masterpiece. And if you and I have the privilege of serving God, we are merely a paintbrush in his hands, but we're in a very imperfect paintbrush. And so when God's power is is being seen visibly in a person's life and there is a successful ministry, Some, and it's very easy to do this if you lose sight of, you know, where the where the success is coming from, um, some become puffed up after God uses them and they're not in touch with the fact that they're merely a paintbrush. And so that's one of the biggies. You know, another one is burnout uh, because they're trying to serve so many people and they're just fried.
0: Mm. Right.
1: And uh, so that's another one.
0: And uh, what, what are some what, what are some things that pastors can do to at least consciously try and avoid those traps, step around them, prevent them from happening, at least discourage uh, them from getting a foothold in their life?
1: Well, we'll pick we'll pick the pride and arrogance one, okay. uh, because yeah. I see this happen a lot. And, and it's it's particularly endemic in uh, pastors that have large churches Uh, Oftentimes, regrettably, we read about them (laughs) in the news uh, because they crash and burn. Um, But here here are some of the marks of a person that has succumbed to pride and arrogance in ministry. One is they refuse to co-work with other people. Another one is they're inaccessible to their peers. This is what celebrities are known for. You cannot reach a celebrity. Yeah. All right. I mean, try getting in touch with Taylor Swift or Johnny Depp, right? It's not gonna happen. <laughs> and some Christian leaders, they get to the point where they really they really have this celebrity conscience, uh, consciousness, and so they have handlers and you have mm-hmm. to go through them to even contact them. Jesus mm-hmm. was very accessible. The disciples didn't want him to be, <laughs> but and and he rebuked his disciples when people tried to come to him and they say, Oh no, don't bother the master. Um, you know,
0: he's the exact opposite. Hi, guys. I want to take a quick break and tell you about an opportunity that you guys have as listeners to become subscribers of this podcast. Now, in order to become a sub, all you have to do is follow the subscribe link in the show notes found in the description of each episode. And when you subscribe, you'll get access to exclusive material, including additional interviews, all of my spoken word poetry pieces all of my dramatized allegorical short stories and even more of my article readings okay so lots of content will be available to you that won't be available to anyone else subscribing to the show only costs five dollars a month which is less than most people spend on their lunch at work every day okay so you won't even notice it disappearing from your bank account if you enjoy listening to the show and you're looking for an opportunity to financially support the content you care about this is your chance okay follow the link in the show notes to become a sub thank you so much for choosing this show to listen to. And now, without further ado, let's get back to the episode. Uh,
1: Another one is rejecting golden opportunities and invitations from those who are ahead of you in the Lord. Another trap is people pleasing. Uh, Another Mm. one is burnout because many leaders, they don't take time to stop pause, take breaks, take Sabbaths. They just go, go, go. And and part of this, yeah. uh, the impulse behind it is not only they're serving in the energy of the flesh, but another one is they're people pleasers, mm. which, uh, I think affects many, many of us who are in ministry. So I have a whole chapter on that. Uh, don't be a people pleaser is one of the laws.
0: Mm. Okay. Um, you mentioned there, the first one you mentioned about the, the pride or the arrogance that can kind of mm. seep in and, uh, take hold of somebody i i've noticed that um not even specifically related to people in, in institutional ministry but people who um i've noticed a lot of believers who and this has really become to bother me recently um it's like they really think they have flawless doctrine or they really think they know exactly what truth is in every aspect of life and um something my mentor recently said to me that i really lashed latched onto was that um he asked me, what are the things that you absolutely know that you would stake your life on? Mm -hmm. And really the list that we came up with was just that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. Uh, Because beyond that, I mean, there's room for misunderstanding. There's room for misinterpreting uh, scripture. There's room for uh, bringing your own past baggage, your own experiences to scripture when you read it or to these life principles when you see them. And you you can come away believing some really untrue things. So I've seen a lot of, uh, yeah, I've I've seen a lot of people uh, allow uh, pride and arrogance to make them think that their doctrine is perfect. And I know you've written a book. Um, Just if you've noticed for anybody listening, if you've noticed that in your own life, I've noticed it in mine for sure. If you've noticed it in your own life, one of Frank's books that I would recommend would be Regrace, where he Mm -hmm. talks about the beliefs of uh, believers that you know, famous, influential people in the Christian community who believe some things that might shock you. And kind of his point in writing that book was um, no denomination, to my understanding, his point was no denomination has a corner on truth. No denomination has all the answers. We should not tear the body apart, essentially tear each other down for believing different things in in these specific areas if we're all pursuing the goal of growing closer to Jesus and bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. So that's a book that I would recommend for you on that front, on the arrogance front, on the assuming that you're right front uh, on the burnout front, Frank, I've, um, I've, I've, I've been recently listening to some people talk about burnout and the effects of burnout and why it's there. And you mentioned Sabbaths uh, and sabbaticals specifically uh, for pastors. Um, John Mark Comer is one that I've recently heard. He's doing a ton of work. He has entire series years of his life dedicated to just the study of Sabbath and why it's so important for pastors in particular. But have you noticed uh, anybody, what's the difference between the pastors who uh, practice a Sabbath, a rest period, and the pastors who basically just go nonstop, have you seen a direct um, tie-in between the health of those pastors? Is there like yeah. a... Say.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, basically what happens, they either rust out, burn out, or fade out, okay? okay. <laughs> and and I, I use that language in the book. Uh, and, and it's easy to get caught up into this. Uh, because you want to please the Lord, you want to please people, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. that's a double-edged sword, by the way, yeah. that, I, that I dissect. But I'll take myself, for example. Since 2008, I have written 20 books, uh, published over 1,000 blog posts, mm. uh, run two podcasts that has hundreds of episodes on them. I run a network called the Deeper Christian Life Network that I'm very active on, I speak uh, all over the world when I'm invited to various conferences and churches. I have a mastermind for Christian leaders. And basically, I am one of the most rested Mm. (laughs) um, people you'll ever meet. And it is because I have learned to build into my life two things. One, uh, Hebrews 4. There is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God Mm -hmm. from his. And then he says, let us make every effort to enter into that rest. So there's a paradox. There's a rest of God, but we have to make and we are called on to make an effort to enter into that rest. So I've made efforts (laughs) to enter into God's rest. And a lot of it has to do with building into my schedule I'm talking about on a daily basis now, not just weekly, not just monthly, but I have periods of rest and relaxation. The second pivotal point here is to learn how to live by the life of Christ and and pull from his energy, uh, use his energy as the source of my labor rather than my own natural energy. If we Mm. are operating by our own natural power, uh, we're going to burn out really fast, okay? Because yeah. it's like a rubber band. It's not going to take us where we need to go. It's going to bounce back. But if we shift gears and learn to live from his life, his power, right? Then when we are laboring, when we are doing whatever it is that he's called us to do, we're at peace, we're at rest, and we don't feel burned out. So those yeah. are the two pivotal things. And I do address them in detail in the book as well. Okay.
0: Perfect. Perfect. I love that effort thing, that conscious effort to actually schedule in rest, because I mean, a lot we live, I think we live in a world where it's you're set up. The the current of culture is you're set up to be constantly available. Your phone goes off. You're kind of expected Mm -hmm. to answer it right away. People think they have constant access to you. They think that essentially if you're in ministry, you should be on the clock all the time or even Mm -hmm. not in ministry, not in uh, defined occupational ministry, just in ministering as a believer. Uh, they think that you should always be ready to you know, uh, drop anything you're doing at the drop of a hat and, and meet a need, which obviously service is great. That's something we're called to do as believers. But I'm saying, I love that, that principle you talk about of F, factoring in rest and putting it in the effort. Because if you just sit still, mm-hmm. when the culture is making demands of you all the time, constant demands, and the, that's the current, you're just going to be naturally washed in that direction of trying to meet all the needs. And like you said, using your own strength to to basically solve problems mm-hmm. that you don't have the, the power to solve. That's really good. Um, your 48 laws cover how a minister should care for others, while at the same time, guarding his or her personal well being. Um, why do many ministers fail the latter caring for themselves? Uh, in that process, does that kind of go back to the Sabbath principle that you just talked about? Or is there something more to it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, here are two ways I put it in the book. You endanger everybody around you when you deplete your own spiritual reserves without replenishing them. And another one is never set yourself on fire to keep others warm. Mm. Give yourself an off ramp from time to time. Set your intentions to withdraw to a solitary place regularly, regularly to recharge and reboot. All right. It's the whole principle of the oxygen mask, right? You know, yeah. you get on a plane, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you know the drill. Yep. Uh, if there's yep. a problem, first put your oxygen mask on before you go and help someone else. You're of no use to anybody else if you are fried and burned mm-hmm. out. Okay. Me and so, so really, you know, there has to be this... I don't really like the word balance, but there's this tension between I have to fill my own spiritual cup. I have to hit reset. I have to recharge and I have to build that into my daily schedule. What's not scheduled does not get done, basically. Mm. Right. So I have to build that into my my daily routine. Uh, I do this. I've been doing it for years. And that allows me to have the reserves to be able to replenish and bless and help other people, not with my own energy, but with the life of Christ, his energy. The other thing, too, that's at the heart of this a lot of times, Seth, is religious ambition. All right. Ah. Uh, People who are so busy, um, part of it is the plague of people pleasing. But another part of it, if you pull back the curtain or you peel the onion a little bit more, it's religious ambition. You know, I want to be successful in ministry. I want people to see me as a spiritual giant. I want to have this kind of applause, right? That's what's at the back of it. And until Mm -hmm. that root is extinguished and pulled out, then it's going to be very difficult for a believer to enter into God's rest, as we've been talking about.
0: Very, very good. I just, guys, I hope you're getting all this stuff here. A lot of it's about the intentional, attentional aspect of scheduling it in. And this is something I'm not in professional ministry in the sense of in in an institutional church. Now I am a follower of Jesus and I do believe it's my job to minister. I'm actually a teacher by occupation, by profession. And I, I know exactly how pastors feel in a lot of respects because there are, there's a lot demanded of public school teachers. I've probably asked 500 questions a day by little kids, man. (laughs) It takes a lot of energy out of you. And, but there's an opportunity there was what I'm saying. So you've got to be, you've got to have put on your oxygen mask so that when you show up to work or wherever you work, when you show up to serve others, you're able to do so. One of the things that I try to do faithfully. Uh, to keep my oxygen mask on is I do not take work home. A lot of teachers that I know work follows them home that walks right in the front door with them and they're working on either they're prepping their material for the next day or they're doing something, you know, related to their job on their downtime. Mm-hmm. And I really, really try to stop that. I try as soon as I leave the school, I try to go into rest mode and do things that I, I've had to start taking naps. Now I've never had to take a nap in my life, <laughs> but dealing with kids, man, it'll get to you. It'll, oh, it'll get yeah. to you. So I've had to start taking naps. That's something you could do, uh, factoring in uh, family time. We're so big on the importance of family and marriage on the show and prioritizing that as a goal mm-hmm. uh, above other things as God, I believe has designed us to do. So making sure you have that time where you're not available from, for your boss. You're not available for your, your you know, your your leaders or your 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 worship team or just anything. This can apply to any job you do, guys. So I really hope you're getting the, this work here. Hi, guys. This is just a quick reminder that you can use the link in the show notes to send me a voice message with a comment or a question. Uh, Frank, would you give us an example of a law of spiritual power in the book that's been neglected? And we haven't actually talked about a lot of the actual 48 laws yet. So what's one of them that's been neglected? In, in- oh, wow. Well,
1: well. Shoot, there, there are quite a few, but I'll I'll, I'll hone in on one. Um, yeah. Uh, law number four, it takes one to make one. And boy, I wish somebody told me this when I was a young believer on fire for God, expending mm. a lot of energy serving. It takes one to make one. Here it is. The spiritual ingredient, it's actually the greatest ingredient to your impact on the lives of other people is not how much knowledge of the bible you have it's not whether or not you have correct doctrine mm, <laughs> it's yeah. not how much theological training you've received it's not how many podcasts you've listened to yeah it's not it's not being trained on strategies church growth leadership principles how to evangelize how to make disciples it's none of that the greatest ingredient to impacting other people with the power of God, is your own transformation. All right? This is huge, Mm -hmm. okay? You can be a very knowledgeable, eloquent teacher, for example, and you can teach the Bible, and you can have all your doctrinal uh, um, um, ducks in a row, okay? Mm -hmm. That is not going to long-term change that person that you're speaking to they may even say, what a great message. They they may even shed a tear because they were touched. That's not going to, in the long run, change their life unless you first have experienced what you're sharing and it's been proven in your own life. And you're not just talking out of theory. You're talking out of firsthand experience. Mm. I mean, this is huge. Yeah. And today what happens, Seth, is many young people are recruited into ministry, they're brought into programs, and it's all about getting it done, you know. Go mm-hmm. out and do this, go out and do that, you gotta get it done, you gotta get it done, you gotta serve, yeah. you gotta serve, you gotta give, you gotta do more. But but wait a minute. Most of the time we share things that we haven't experienced ourselves, and it's all coming from the frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, that is not going to have eternal value and the impact it's going to have on other people's lives is not going to last very long. You, it takes one to make one. You have to experience it first. Anytime I come into a new discovery, all right, of the scriptures of the Lord, I make sure that I have first proved it in my own life. Mm. And that and that basically takes time, all right? You got to yeah. you got to hit the clock. You got to hit pause on the clock. All right. You got to stop the stopwatch. And let me let me prove this in my own life. And once I've gained some experience that I know it's true, I've lived it out in shoe leather. Now I can share it with other people. And boy, the difference that makes is tremendous.
0: Yeah, I bet. Um, I mean, just the, think of the, uh, I, that made me immediately think of the principle of just the experienced person is always the best at actually giving advice, right? You, when you go to a mentor, you go to somebody who is where you want to be 10 years from now, or however long from now you go to somebody who is ahead of you, who's actually experienced the breakthrough experienced the fill in the blank that you're actually looking for. Uh, you don't go to somebody to receive teaching who hasn't. So that just immediately resonated with me. Um, great point there, especially, and even the, um, the name of it, the name of the law, it takes one to make one, uh, the simplicity of it kind of reminds me when you said it, for some reason, it reminded me of Jordan Peterson and his uh, 12 rules for life. Just that, that simple, uh, simple series of things that you can follow. Um, so that might be another kind of a parallel book, uh, for you guys to read who are interested in, um, that one's not even really about your spiritual life. It's about just practical things you could do to improve, but, um, this, this is on point, absolutely loving it. Um, give us an example What's one law that's been particularly challenging for you uh, personally to follow in your own life that you've written about?
1: Well, I'll do better than that. I'll give you two. Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. Uh, One of them is uh, the law on discouragement, overcoming discouragement. Now. Anytime you try to minister the Lord to someone, whether it's an unbeliever or it's a believer, whatever capacity of ministry you're in, you are going to face discouragement hmm. at certain points, okay? And it looks different for different people, but it could be as easy as how come nobody's listening or why isn't this registering? Or uh, how come the guy in the front row is falling asleep when I'm giving this glorious message? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and so discouragement can really hit you hard. Yeah. All right. Now, here's here's a tip that I've learned. So you're, you're, maybe you've been invited to speak somewhere and you're preaching a message and you think it's just glorious and you feel God's power is on you and the guy in the front row is falling asleep. You can focus on that or you can look to his left and see the woman on the edge of her chair soaking mm. in every word. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you can look at the guy that's to the right of him. He's sitting there mesmerized. All right. Here's the point when you minister, and you have someone, i uh, metaphorically say this, falling asleep. In other words, it's not landing. It's not registering. They didn't like it. Here's the thing you have to remember. It wasn't for them. Mm. And don't let that fact cause you to withdraw and stop because you're robbing all the people who it's for. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, not everybody likes my books, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. You know, um, I have no use for those people, but no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Not everybody likes my, hey, that's fine. You know, uh, not everybody likes Led Zeppelin music. Not everybody likes Adele. Not everybody likes Michael Jackson or Taylor Swift or Kanye West. Everybody has a different style and a different taste. Okay. It's Mm. not for them. You know, um, if I'm a vegetarian Right. And I go to a steakhouse and uh, I'm forced to order a steak. And now somebody tells me to review it uh, on, you know, some uh, food app and I review the restaurant. I'm going to give it a bad review, yeah, but I'm going to give it a bad review because I'm a vegetarian. It's not for me. And so that's one way to overcome discouragement, you know, and discouragement is it's in the warp and woof of all ministry, uh, Mm. Seth. Uh, Paul Tarsus dealt with it big time. You know, in Ephesus he despaired of life; he was so discouraged. Yeah. But he bounced back, and uh, and then the other one is more on a practical level. I have a chapter on co-working. Uh, co-working is in the bloodstream of God's universe. The Lord uh, approves of co-working. He desires people to co-work together. But we live in a time right now, Seth, where so many of my peers just are ha- they are monumentally disinterested in co-working with another person. Yeah. They rather would be solo acts, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. They'd rather be Garth Brooks, right, than uh, a, yeah. a member of the Rolling Stones or whatever. So th- this is basically on a personal level that discourages me when I see the just the uh, the independence yeah. and unwillingness for uh for peers to co-work.
0: Yeah, there's nothing that makes it harder for a relationship to happen than the uh, the unwillingness of one party to basically enter a relationship because they think they have all they need. Uh, that independence, that autonomy, that um, self-sufficiency. I've written a book on this. It's called um, Deep in the Dance of Dependence, Prioritizing Relationship Amidst Gen Z Individualism. And that is really something that I see in young kids, man. Like mm-hmm. my age, Gen Zers, we are all about having the power to do it ourselves. And we think that ha- relying on other people, interdependence, working together, cooperation, like you were talking about, is weakness. And so mm-hmm. we try to not need any of that. And that makes us think we're strong or something. But, but what it really does is it limits us from doing all these things like you're talking about, where you're talk- you're trying to collaborate with these people or uh, work together with your peers on these things. Mm-hmm. And it's just not working because they're so so individualistic. So great point there. That is a very serious danger that I see for my peers as well, younger younger people as well. Uh, We've got got to watch out for that. Something you said a few minutes ago, I just want to pause and ask you on a personal note here. Uh, You you were talking about people-pleasing and kind of the dangers of that. And you talked about it as a negative thing. And by nature, I'm very much a people-pleaser in the sense of I get a lot of energy and um, intrinsic reward from serving other people. And in the past, that's been a great thing for me. But I think the only thing that's made it a great thing for me is the fact that I'm not willing to... um, C- compromise what I'm saying to please others. Mm-hmm. So maybe uh, what what would you say the danger part of people pleasing is? What's the part where that can actually become a bad thing is what I'm trying is what I'm getting at.
1: Yeah, well, it becomes toxic when number one, you're willing to compromise your yeah. conscience to make other people happy or appease them or not yeah. tick them off. Okay. Uh, the other part of it is it easily can lead you down the road of burnout and rust out because ah. you want to please people so much that anytime you know they need something, you don't want to turn them down. And yeah. what's really at the root of people pleasing. Uh, and I have a whole chapter in the book on this, is it, okay. it's a self-worth issue. Very early mm. on in our lives, we we derived a sense of identity, a sense of worthiness, a sense of value by making other people happy. And that's so ingrained in us. And pastors, you know, this is an epidemic uh, in the pastorate. The, mm. this, this impulse to please people, and oftentimes it leads to their own demise. So, You know, there's there's nothing wrong with you know feeling good that you've helped somebody, but boy, there there are boundaries around that, and there's some tentacles around that that need to be explored, else we fall into this persistent people pleasing, and you cannot please people as a default setting without dishonoring God. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, Paul often in his letters he says, you know, we were not pleasers of men but pleasers of God. And Paul was tested on that many times. So yeah, you can't really do both uh, all the time.
0: Yeah. And that's, that, that can, I think that's even encouraging for the people pleasers, at least the ones who uh, make the content and they write the books and they make the podcasts and they do the conferences like you're talking about. Um, You know, it's ultimately, you weren't trying to get everybody with that. You weren't trying to please everybody with that. Um, It had a purpose. It was a ministry. It was a service that God called you to, like you said. So that can maybe be comforting uh, for us that we've, uh, I think that's something all all people who make content go through. You know, why is the person, even as a teacher, guys, like as a teacher, I go to class and I'm teaching something and I've got one kid over here, you know, taking their shoes off and eating chips when I'm talking about this really profound uh, learning tool that's going to help them understand something. But again, like you said earlier, the student next to them, they're eating it up. They're loving that's what I'm right. saying. They're getting something out of it. So you've just gotta, got, just gotta look at the the positive of the the work that you're putting in, um, and just cling to the good fruit that's coming out of that there, and that might help you. So I love that. Um, <laughs> based on the comments, uh, first of all, Frank, before I go any further in this interview, uh, when is this book coming out? Is it already out? I've heard late October. Um, when can we expect to be able to just go either go online or go to bookstores and be able to purchase it?
1: You know. Uh, Seth it just dropped so just anybody dropped. Okay. who's listening to this can go to 48laws.com that's 48 okay. you know not the not spelled out in words but the numbers 48laws.com and they will see Uh, All the places they can get it, they will also uh, see some interviews that will be posted in the near future uh, so they can listen to me talk about it as I'm talking to you. And uh, they can also test
0: drive the book. There's a taste test sampler they can download for free. I will remember to um, include the link, uh, 48, that's 48laws.com, I believe, and I'll put that in the show notes. So you can just click that really easily. Just go down to the show notes of every episode. We put all of our sources there, all of our references, all of our statistics there for you to look at. I'll include it there so that you can click it and go to it super easily and um, access the work there. And it sounds like you'll get a free sampling as well, as well as other interviews Mm -hmm. that have been done on the episode. So that's great. Um, Continuing on though here, how can readers learn more about the 48 laws? You just mentioned one of those ways. Are there any other ways, any other free resources that you have available for them to uh, get access to?
1: Well there there'll be an episode uh several episodes on the Christ is all podcast uh okay. that will feature chapters of the book they can listen to on audio fairly soon. So Christ is all it's a podcast and they can listen to that and it will it will help them out, you know, in terms of learning more about the laws and actually, you know, distilling some of them uh, you know, in a, in a bite-sized uh, audio chunks.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. Uh, going on, moving on here, the target audience of this podcast uh, that people listen to today is young believers ages 18 to 24 who are pursuing the goal of healthy marriage and family. And you've mentioned before, even at the very start of this interview that a lot of the people who follow and consume your work are believers, sincere believers in their twenties, thirties, and forties. What's one law of spiritual power that you feel has particular significance for young individuals in their early twenties who are, you know, looking to get married, looking to start a family, looking to basically lay the foundation of their life that God has kind of called them to, uh, what's one law that you believe has particular significance for them?
1: Well, I'll give you two. The first one is law 29. Do not compromise. There Mm. is going to be, and there is, but there will be uh, much more so as you live your life, incredible tremendous pressure to compromise compromise your values compromise your convictions and um it's a slippery slope because once you start to say yes to compromise it never ends and it Mm. becomes harder and harder to say no to it and i've seen lots of christians gifted christians shipwreck their lives and their faith because they said yes to those little compromises and uh, at the end of the day, you know, they were on a railroad track to destruction. So that's the yeah. first one, never okay. compromise. It's a whole chapter on that, law number right. 29. Law number 32 stay in school. Now, that does not mean physically attending a school. It doesn't mean, you know, continuing education in a formal yeah. sense, but it means continue to learn, continue mm. to listen to podcasts, read books, take yeah. courses, all right? And I have um, a, a, an episode on the Christ is All podcast that I recommend everybody listening to this to go and listen to. It's 117, number 117. The episode's called Five Reasons Why You Should Have a Mentor, all right? Ah, you can also it. find it on my blog, frankviola.org. But- It is huge that you find a mentor in your life because it will cut the learning curve. It will collapse time, okay, for you. Mm. You will be able to get ahead in all areas of your life, if you find the right mentor, that is, in all areas of your life that, you know, really would take many, many years to discover and not only years, but a lot of failure, a lot of heartache, a lot of pain. You could short circuit the whole mm. process by getting a mentor. Just find the right mentor. I talk sure. about this in the episode five reasons why you should have a mentor on the Christ is all podcast.
0: So good. So good. Guys, I'm I will uh really, really encourage you here. Just take a moment to encourage you. That is gonna be something you wanna listen to. Um As you all know we talk about the mentorship all the time and how how critical that is which is why i'm so i'm so glad you brought that up on the show frank i know you don't know that we talk about that a lot but that's something we really drive home here is the importance of mentorship for young people and um, getting getting somebody to help you aim and help you avoid the pitfalls and help you know what to do and give you guidance beyond your years so really really thank you for that piece of advice there and Moving on here, what's one major focus, or one of the major focuses on this show is the importance of healthy community. And I know you've written so many books, you said 20, I mean, several of those have the actual subject of maintaining healthy Christian community and the importance of that. What, are there any spiritual laws in, in your book that actually, um, focus on the importance of community and, uh, kind of teach you, give you practical ways of how to like build that up in your life? Well, law number
1: 19 would, would fit that probably better than, than the others. Okay. And law 19 is develop an instinct for the cross. Now, let me mm. explain what I mean by the cross. By the cross, I mean the dying to self aspect of the cross where we take up our crosses to follow Jesus. You know, Jesus talked about laying your life down. He talked mm-hmm. about losing your life. He talked mm-hmm. about submitting to the cross. Paul said I die daily, All right? So the cross is that principle where you deny yourself, right? To please the Lord, to follow the Lord, you deny your your uh, selfish nature, you deny your flesh, you lay your life down, you lose. Now, Christian community, Seth, will not work without the cross. There has mm. to be people who are dying to themselves, dying to their what they want, dying to their opinions, even if they may be right. Okay, so true. Dying to themselves. Christian community will not work without the cross. In fact, the cross is a railroad track to the cross, because it's in community that we actually have the opportunities to die to ourselves. Because mm. uh, Christian community is very, very difficult. Yeah. And you know, the microcosm of that is marriage. I mean, marriage is yeah. not going to work. If the spouses are not laying down their lives for one another, it'll so eventually true. catch up to them. And you know, <laughs> I know lots of young men that were just devastated after years went by because their wives were laying down their lives, but the man wasn't, and he was oblivious to it until wow. it came to a head. So develop an instinct for the cross. I sketch it out in detail in uh, Law 19, and okay. that would be one of the major ones, yeah.
0: Perfect. Love that. I, I immediately thought of a house church group that I'm a part of, which as, as we've said on the show before, uh, Frank is not a exclusively house church advocate. He believes that the, the ecclesia, the body of Christ can assemble in, you know, lots of different ways mm-hmm. and it, that it's not uh, specific to house church. But I've found in my life, in my own personal life, I, that, all, that I've done that through is house church. And one of the things I've noticed is uh, if everybody's not willing to yield on some things, if, if like, let's just take the example of schedule. If nobody, if nobody's willing to compromise on their schedule, you're never going to get together. (laughs) That's right. You know, so, I mean, there's gotta be that take up your cross. There's gotta be that take up your cross. There's gotta be that, um, willingness to enter uncomfortable territory for the sake of the group. I love that. Mm -hmm. That again, elevating that group, the collectivism over the individual preference, just absolutely on board with everything we talk about on the show. Love that you brought that up here in your book, discipleship in crisis. You discuss that's, that's another Frank book that Frank's written for those of you who are wondering, he discusses how many discipleship programs and ventures of the modern scene are failing to produce results, but continue to be practiced without change. Kind of that definition of insanity: doing the same thing over and over without expect and expecting different results. What's one practice Frank or principle that you would leave listeners uh, with on reforming the discipleship efforts that we have today, both in the institutional church and outside of it, like through the, through the minis- the um, masterminds and conferences that you do, the discipleship efforts. What's one thing you would leave with them mm-hmm. on reforming and improving that?
1: Absolutely. Well, this is easy for me to answer because it burns in my heart. And just so your listeners know, they can get the book Discipleship in Crisis completely free Yeah, just by subscribing to my blog, frankbiola.org. They'll get a free copy of that, which actually expands what I'm about to say. It also comes with a book. That's free, too. It's called Rethinking the Will of God. And it's helped lots and lots of young believers, by young I mean age-wise, in their 20s and uh, so forth, who uh, agonize over God's will. Like, what is God's will Mm. for my life? I mean, pure agony. And this really has helped lots of those believers find their way with clarity. Uh, Anyway, so the missing ingredient uh, to your question is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The key phrase in that passage is Christ lives in me. Jesus said in John 6, as the Father has sent me and I live by the Father, so he, so she who feeds on me shall live by me. Me, The heart of discipleship, Seth, and this is the missing ingredient, this is what's been neglected, Mm -hmm. is the way we follow Jesus Christ today is by following the indwelling Spirit who indwells us. Christ lives in us by the Spirit, and we do not become disciples by trying to externally imitate Him. You know, reading the Bible, what well, Jesus did this, so now I'm gonna try to do that. No, mm. it's by internally incarnating him. That's how we imitate him. We have the same life inside of our spirits yeah. that was in Jesus Christ. It's himself in the spirit living in us. And Jesus lived by the Father's life. Now we have been given the life of Christ through the Spirit. And so now discipleship is simply the act of learning how to live by the indwelling life of Christ. And I talk about that in the book, Discipleship in Crisis. I also talk some about it in 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. Um, I actually have a whole course on it um, that gives the practicals on how do I live by Christ? If Christ lives in me. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. But how do I live by his life and not, not
0: by my own life? So good. So good. Uh, my mind was actually just exploding with several different things as you were talking there. Um, you mentioned the, the being led by the spirit as the main thing that we're missing in discipleship. Totally get, I've I just, I think, I think that's so true. A lot of days, Frank, what do you think of, have you ever heard the solo scriptura argument where it's like uh, by scripture alone, we must, we must live nothing else because a lot of people, I've heard the argument now I don't believe this, but I've heard the argument that a lot of people think, that when you begin looking, um, unless if you lift your eyes from the pages of scripture, you will go off into error. Um, and I know that even scripture talks about, you know, God's law being written in our hearts now. And, um, you know, even like the Pharisees searched the scriptures, uh, and missed Jesus entirely when he came to earth. So it's not like scripture fixes everything. But my point is a lot of people say that they, um, when you lift your eyes from scripture, you get off into error. What would you say to them there? Cause you talked about being led by the spirit and not just looking to scripture for what Jesus did as a, as a means of living, but also actually the personal relationship with him, the, the uh, being led by the spirit in the spirit realm. Like what, what is that? Why do yeah. you believe that's valuable? And how is that? How do you keep basically, what would you say to them when they, when they bring up getting off into error?
1: Well, the Holy spirit who lives in us does not replace the Bible yeah. And the Bible does not replace the Spirit. They work yeah. together. So in yeah. other words, if I'm living by the Holy Spirit, guess what? If the Spirit is going to lead me always, always, without exception, to do that which the Scripture teaches. The, the Holy Spirit's never going to contradict Himself. Yeah. The, but the point I'm making is that this Holy Spirit that inspired Scripture now lives in you if you're a true yeah. believer, right? Yeah. And so He good. also has a voice, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice yeah and they Very follow good. me yeah and so you know there are things that the scripture is going to point toward but the holy spirit gives us the power and the energy to fulfill it and the specifics the specifics mm. you know if we talk about a job getting a job i mean the bible doesn't tell you which job to take right if about mar- marrying right. someone right uh entering into a, 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 an opportunity that's been given to you that yeah. the holy spirit leads us into those things. Ministering to somebody, right? Yeah. Getting the right words to say to them, uh digging out or or kind of uncovering the root problem as you're trying to minister to them. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. And mm-hmm. the scriptures themselves, just read John 14, 15, and 16. It's all about Jesus entering into us, living in us by the Spirit. Yeah. And so but the but the point is to the sola scriptura and I, I believe that you know, sola scriptura in, in the sense of the reformers did, you know, mm-hmm. that there's no extra biblical revelation, right. but the Holy Spirit will always lead and guide us into what the scripture teaches. He will never contradict it, um, but it will be expanded and revealed further uh, to really understand the scripture.
0: We yeah. need the Holy Spirit. So, right. yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Absolutely on point there. Um, a lot of because I, I know that's a big challenge among uh, even amongst my friend circles. There's some there's some debate on that. The whole um, what is what are we actually? I tend to fall on the side of I think Christians, a lot of Christians in the Bible Belt area that I'm from today, really I feel like have a better relationship with Scripture than they do with the actual person, the actual Trinity of Jesus, right, Father, Son, Spirit. I feel like they're better uh, acquainted with the Bible. They love the Bible even more um, than they love than they love Christ, which bothers me deeply. Uh, but at the same time, I recognize the air, the the danger of beginning to take advice, uh, beginning to think other things are what we should look to, to is if that makes sense. So it's it's a hard yeah,
1: balance. Absolutely. Well, here's here's two things I want to say, and, and one of them is a, is a short story. But you know, if Jesus was uh, on the earth right now in the flesh, okay, he would say, yeah. "Follow me," right, and yeah, we would follow him. Right. We would see him, and we would, mm-hmm. you know, if he t- if he takes a left, we take a left. If he takes a right. We take a right. That's what a disciple is. Yeah. Well, now that Jesus is ascended, he has sent forth his spirit. All yeah. right. Now, the scriptures testify of Jesus Christ. They testify of the spirit. And now Paul says in Romans 8, they who are led by the spirit are the sons of God. They're the disciples mm-hmm. of God. See, right. so it's, it's, it's no different uh, to follow Jesus today than it was in the first century, except What's shifted is now he lives in us, Mm -hmm. and the scriptures will definitely lead us into how to recognize his voice. That's where the scriptures help us. Like, okay, uh, I have this impression, maybe it's the Holy Spirit, he's telling me to do this terrible thing. Well, no, that's not the Holy Spirit, (laughs) because it contradicts the Bible. But on this issue of elevating scripture above Christ, here's a quick story. Every year, three people get together, and they weep. It's Mary, the Holy Spirit, and the Scripture. Hmm. And then they speak as they're weeping. So Mary says, I came to bring him into the world. I gave him life. And now they have worshipped me. Hmm. And then the Holy Spirit is weeping. And he says, I came to testify of him. I came to lead women and men to him. I came to convict the world of sin and to show how glorious the Savior is. But they have elevated me and forgotten him Hmm. and then the bible speaks and the bible says all of my arrows point to him i have come to reveal him and to open the eyes of those who don't know him to see who he is but they have made a
0: god out of me wow That is a powerful story, man. That is good. I remember I remember one time this is this something that resonated with resonated with me a long time ago that you shared actually. It was on I think your Instagram account or something, which by the way, for those of you interested, you can follow Frank on Instagram and Facebook, probably a bunch of other things, but those are where I follow him. Something you posted a long time ago was that um Never, uh, Scripture is the roadmap pointing to Christ, and then he posted, "Never mistake the roadmap for the destination." Which, which I thought was, it's very similar yes. to what you just said. That story of the mm-hmm. of the there are all those things, uh, Mary, Scripture, the Holy Spirit, probably a bunch of other things that you could <laughs> name, point, like John the Baptist pointing to Jesus, That's right? Right, and then we've got to be really careful to keep him, keep Christ as all as, as Frank would say. So thank you. I think that's a wonderful note to just close this, this interview out on Frank. Thanks so much for, uh, for coming on here. I know you're, you're a lot bigger than what we do in the sense of the, the reach that you have in the Christian community. I have nowhere near the following or the, the, um, the, the reach that you do. So I really appreciate you coming down and, uh, give it, sharing your wisdom on the show for my listeners. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm honored by it, Seth. And, uh, God bless you, brother.
1: I'm encouraged. You just by your testimony and your heart, and uh, you asked some really good questions, and the follow-ups were excellent.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. It's been awesome, guys. For those of you who are interested, I will include everything about Frank's work in the show notes. I'll include his uh, the website to get his new book, and I'll include his main website that you can access his podcast through. For those of you who are interested in reaching out and letting us know what you thought of this episode, do so through the link in the show notes. You can send me a personalized voice message. I love hearing those; makes me feel super connected to my audience. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Restoring Before if you're interested in our posts there. Thank you, guys, so much for listening today, and we will talk.